Hello, hello. Today we have a very special guest, so stay tuned. Welcome to another episode of Binge Eating to Food Freedom with me, Katie Papo. If you're ready for genuine and lasting freedom from binge eating, emotional eating, or out of control food issues, you are in the right place. Subscribe, follow, and enjoy the episode. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Binge Eating to Food Freedom podcast with Katie Papo. That is me, and I would like to introduce my special guest, Sarah Spears, who is an expert in um, empowering yourself around food and ending the binge cycle and emotional eating. And um, it was a couple weeks ago that I was on Sarah's podcast and um, it was the first time we had connected in a number of years. So I'm very happy to have you on today. So thank you Thanks. for being here. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Me too. Neither of us know what we're going to talk about today. So it'll be a surprise to both of us. But I kind of wanted to start because on your podcast, when I came on, we had talked about where we met and how that place where we met was a trigger for both of us basically starting us off in our disordered eating <laughs> journey and experience. And um, I won't go into my end of that story and how that place really triggered my binge eating issues, but I would love if we can start with your journey and how you started um, experiencing disordered eating yourself and what that was like for you. And then we can move into more of the solutions that you offer. Absolutely. Yeah. When we met at this weight loss and fitness camp as camp counselors, I was a camp counselor. So I was supporting some of the participants and was with them really 24 seven monitoring all activities, participating in all activities, participating in all meals. And the camp followed a no fat, low fat diet. And I, at that time, first time in my life decided I'm going to try following a vegan diet. No real reason other than I was like, I want to be healthy. And this is the perfect opportunity to really focus on my health. And I had read a book about veganism and I thought I'd try that. And I'll say right off the bat that this is not to say veganism causes disordered eating at all. I believe anyone can have a healthy diet in, in a variety of ways. But my approach to veganism was I just cut out meat. I cut out um, fat because that's the, the program we were following and was basically only eating some fruits and vegetables, essentially, at this camp. So my calorie count was way under 1,200 calories and our activity level was extremely high. And I just started to really deprive my body of the nutrients that it needed unknowingly. I thought I was you know, being healthy. And little did I know over the course of the summer, I started to really drop weight, which I wasn't tracking my weight. That wasn't an intention, but that was a byproduct. And by the time I left camp, I think I came in probably, what it doesn't matter. But by the time I left camp, I was well under a hundred pounds. And when I left the camp, because they fed us all of our meals, I didn't know how to feed myself anymore. Like I literally left camp and walked into a supermarket and just froze because I was like, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how to eat. So I would say initially it felt a little bit like orthorexia because I started to create all these rules around what was healthy and not healthy. And even something as simple as almonds would create fear for me because I believed it had to be soaked and sprouted 
in order for it to be healthy for my consumption. And so by the time I would get around to trying to feed myself, nothing met my criteria and I just wouldn't eat. And so over time, I just started to get so hungry and my body started to send me these signals to eat. And when I would finally be around food, I would just eat until I was uncomfortably full because I was so deprived of the nutrients I needed. And then in my mind, I would feel bad for eating what I thought was badly. And I would undo it the next day with a juice cleanse, or I'm going to cut out all of these foods. And I started to restrict. And very quickly, that became the beautiful restrict binge cycle. And eventually, I reached a point of feeling so sick to my stomach from how much I binged on to the point where it felt like I couldn't fit another morsel in my body. And then I would just throw up to undo it and get it out and find relief. And before I knew it, that became the cycle. It was this like sliding into just more severe and severe eating disorder. And at my worst, I was probably binging and purging multiple times a day, completely out of control without any understanding as to why I couldn't seem to control my eating or what was wrong with me. And it was really, really intense and scary and and also shocking to me because up until starting that experience at the camp, I'd never struggled with food ever. Like it was a totally new experience that it felt like sprung up on me out of nowhere. And so it it really affected my mental health and my physical well-being. And those three months at the camp led to a six-year battle, essentially, with an eating disorder and me finding the path to recovery. So that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> well, that's quite a nutshell because, and this is what I always say is one diet can create an eating disorder. And for so many of my clients, and I'm sure your clients too, who have been struggling since childhood, they think oftentimes that something's wrong with them because I've struggled with food my whole life. This has always been an issue. Meanwhile, it was just that maybe their mom took them to Weight Watchers when they were 10 or told them that they needed to lose weight so they went on a diet or someone said they were fat so they started restricting. So it's like, it's that restriction and then the bigger the restriction gets, the bigger the binges will be. And I mean, we both know it so well. And I had the opposite, not the opposite as you, but at that same camp, I wasn't, um, a counselor with the kids. I was more of like a general fitness teacher, yoga teacher for all the different groups at the camp, the adults and the kids and the college kids and stuff. And I was still around all the food, but I didn't have to actually eat with everybody. But still just being around the conversation and eating only those low fat foods all the time. And I've been vegan for 12 years and I didn't have problems, you know, before, but as soon as I started doing the restricting and the low fat and the low, like anything that starts with low, I feel like I want to wave my red flag. Um, and I was binging at that camp every night and sneaking it. So none of the kids would see me because I was being such a quote unquote bad role model. Um, did you make the connection at that time that this was causing that, the, that the restriction was leading to the nope. binging? I was clueless for a, probably the first three to six months of it. I was just so caught in it that I thought the problem was me. I thought the problem was I didn't have enough willpower and control. 
And I thought I had to try harder to resist urges and cravings. And, and even when I was purging, I didn't, it didn't even dawn on me. I had a problem. And then one day I remember like having this moment, the epiphany of like, my face is in a toilet right now that is covered in puke from the food I just ate. Like this is not healthy. Like this is, and, and I'm trained, you know, my, bachelor's is in psychology and now I have a master's in therapy. Like I know the signs of eating disorders and I couldn't even see it in myself until that moment. And it flooded me with shame because when we work to support people in healthy lifestyles, and then you have to look at yourself in the mirror and acknowledge you're like the furthest thing from healthy right now, it really impacts you. You know, I felt like such a fraud and carried so much shame and it became my secret that I hid from everyone because I didn't want anybody to know that I was struggling with it. Yeah. I feel like so many people have that same inclination, like, and I had the same thing. Like we don't even assume that what we're doing could be the problem. We blame ourselves almost automatically. Like it's my discipline. It's my lack of self-control. It's my lack of willpower without even considering that this pattern is causing this pattern. And it's not actually even personal. It has nothing to do with me. It's just that this causes this. And um, I had that same kind of looking in the mirror feeling. I remember being at that camp teaching a fitness class where we had to like jump in down and I was literally looking in the mirror and I had eaten like a whole jar of peanut butter the night before and I was like feeling it like sticking to my ribs basically and like still inside me from the night before. And I was thinking, I am such a fraud. Like if only they knew. So how did you, with the guilt and with the shame and with like all of what you were going through, how did you find your way out? Was it through school? What, what, what happened? Cause you just mentioned you went to school for this. Yes. Going back to school was a part of it. You know, when we want to help people heal, we have to start with ourselves. And I think I, in this weird roundabout way, it was like, oh, if I go to school to help other people, I'll learn how to support myself. And so I, instead of me going to actually get help, you know, that was kind of my roundabout way of getting that. But I also started to just immerse myself in books and different healing modalities. You know, I read the book Brain Over Binge, which really helped me understand how restriction was affecting my brain and the cues that I was experiencing and fighting, you know, reading studies like the Minnesota starvation study and, mm -hmm. and just the more information and the more research I read, the more understanding I had around, Oh, well, this makes so much sense. Of course I'm struggling. Like I have not been nourishing myself. And so there was a bit of self-motivation, this internal determination that I'm going to heal myself no matter what. And I started with regulating eating and introducing all foods and forcing myself to nourish myself, even when it was uncomfortable. And then I suppled that with a lot of um, inner healing, emotional healing. So school gave me um, valuable, like a very valuable introduction to eating disorder recovery. But even that to me felt lacking. You know, it was valuable. And I still felt like there were some key pieces missing from that model. And so my path led me to discovering more alternative healing modalities like emotional freedom technique and Reiki and energy and emotional healing, which for me was a necessary part of achieving full recovery.
because the unprocessed emotions were sort of perpetuating me using food as a coping mechanism. It was almost like restriction is what slid me into the pattern. And then my emotional wounds is what perpetuated it once I had normalized my eating habits. And so I really, um, you know, that's kind of what I really focus on now with my clients is the underlying emotional pieces that I find are, you know, if regulating, stopping dieting isn't enough and you know you're an emotional eater, is there an opportunity to actually work on feeling your feelings instead of just feeding them? Right. Yeah, it's true because it can always like, and I think for a lot of people, it does start with the restriction piece, but then because that becomes the coping tool and the main coping tool, then it becomes intertwined with any emotional struggle that we might have. And then that becomes the way. And then the more we repeat it, the more it's wired and then the harder it is to break. So can I ask you a question about, um, your um your familiarity with like eating disorder training Absolutely. in a more conventional formal setting yeah um, as opposed to what we do now <laughs> i'm i'm more talking like academia um because from what i've found and i'm saying this as a generalization i don't want to like say this is the case for everything but what i found is from a lot of the recovery centers for disordered eating they focus so heavily on food regulation that I'm like, of course, when you come out of your recovery program, you will be worse. Did we just get disconnected? Are we here now? I'm, I'm here with you. I think okay, you froze perfect. for a minute. My screen went black for a second, but yeah, um, yeah. so I've had a, a number of people come to me having gone through some kind of inpatient or outpatient program saying that they went there, they thought that was their last resort. They're worse than ever now. Maybe they learned some emotional healing tools or something like that. But when I asked them what they were doing, so much of it is reminiscent of a diet where you're specifically trying to follow some kind of food protocol. And I want to know, basically, is this, from your knowledge, is this still common practice that's taught in universities? How, was this the case in your training? Did you notice any of this? I'm just curious to kind of, I know it's your perspective. Yeah, my perspective was and is similar. Interestingly, in my under not undergraduate, graduate studies to become a therapist, discussion around eating disorder was minimal. So my eating disorder expertise came in when I did my internship at an eating disorder center, and that's where I received the training and the exposure. And a lot of it is focused on depending on the type of eating disorder, refeeding. So especially when you're dealing with binge eating, the treatment for that has stemmed from what was used for eating disorders such as anorexia, where 
there is not even hunger cues some of the time. And so when you adapt a model with totally different brain chemistry taking place from one to the other, there's still this element of we need to refeed and we need to work on focusing on like how you're nourishing yourself, which is important. But I always say your problem with food is not about food. And the more you try to control it, usually the worse it gets. And so typically what I found when I ran an eating disorder program for binge eating disorder for a year was that people weren't necessarily improving. It was like, yeah, maybe for a few months and then they'd come back again, you know, or symptoms would come back. And it felt like we were putting band-aids on big, big wounds and not actually like addressing the underlying root was my personal feeling. And I felt this way, especially because even as an eating disorder therapist, I was still struggling with binging and purging and talk about shame. You know, I was like much, much better, but I would still have occasional episodes and I couldn't understand, you know, I'm trained in these evidence-based modalities for treating eating disorders. Why even with all the knowledge I have as a professional, why am I still struggling and how can I look clients in the eye and tell them this is the path and let's just track your food and record what you're eating and, you know, add this and add that. It was like, to me, just not really healing what needed to be healed, nor teaching them how to actually nourish themselves according to what their bodies needed, not according to what an expert was telling you, according to whatever numbers and calculations they were using as the guide. Right. It's amazing. Like, it's amazing in the worst way. <laughs> um, it's I, it's disheartening for me to hear this kind of thing because I see people really investing a ton of energy and money and even more than that hope that this is the thing. And it's the same pattern of I'm doing this thing with my whole heart and I'm still not better so something must be wrong with me. It's never something is wrong with the system or something was wrong with the program or something's wrong with this protocol. Um, and I was, I wanted for a second for maybe us to normalize this experience for maybe some others who have gone into that line of work who are struggling. Um, and a lot of us who are helpers and healers, we, we train in the things that we struggle with so we can help other people. Um, and I know, it's common, right, for our clients to to come to us as dietitians or nutritionists who are struggling with food or or therapists. I know I I work with so many therapists um, who are struggling with food and feel a lot of guilt and shame around that. Um, do you find that with with in your world in your community that there's people who struggle? Um, it's more common than I think we realize, which is part of what my mission is. Because the more people I would talk to the more they would say me too and I thought I was like the only one you know the only person and if they only knew all the shame the judgment and the reality is and this is what's heartbreaking is it feels like it's so prevalent that it has impacted every woman I've spoken with at some point in their life to some degree and that just isn't how it should be and even when we're looking at recovery rates for women who actually have, you know, diagnosable eating disorders and you look at the stats, I mean, recovery rates are pretty low and relapse rates are very high. And that's one reason I transitioned out of, you know, the clinical environment and the institutional way of approaching healing, because 
I knew if this was the medical model and we were trying to treat cancer, you know, they invest millions and billions of dollars into researching, like, how do we heal this? And when it comes to mental health, it felt like we just accepted like, oh, this is the way we do it. Yet when you look at the numbers, like it's not working very well. So like, to me, there's clearly an opportunity for us to figure out how to help better, how to actually find solutions that work and to not be satisfied with terrible recovery rates and processes that clearly aren't helping people actually heal. It's like, there's been this acceptance that like, you'll just be living with this for the rest of your life and learning how to live with it. Or, you know, those kind of attitudes that really don't help us progress in this field. So, yeah. yeah. There is that, that idea that's perpetuated that this is not something that can be fixed. This is something that must be managed. Exactly. I had a client who um, she was working with a Harvard psychologist for five years under the premise that she spent like $40,000 with this person under the premise that she was learning to manage it. And nothing changed. Like I asked her over the course of the five years, what's the biggest changes that you've noticed? She was like, hmm, I don't know. I guess I just have more awareness over why I am the way I am. I'm like, what? <laughs> that's like, no, <laughs> red flags, red flags everywhere. But that's the way it is right now. And I'm so grateful. When, actually, when I first read your bio, when you invited me on your podcast, it said something along the lines of, because um, we hadn't connected in a while, it said something like, you are a trained eating disorder therapist, but you don't use <laughs> that training. <laughs> in your... I, was like, okay, I the have the knowledge. <laughs> I'm like, it is, there's value to this education. And like, the, I don't practice as a right. eating disorder therapist because the bulk of what I'm doing is radically different and very unique from what you're going to find in a traditional therapy setting. Yeah. And I do think there's a place for academia in, in all of it. Um, but it's, it's, there's something about, I think also the fact that we have lived this where it's very clear to see, you know, what the issues are when you've like lived this firsthand and why certain things wouldn't work. For example, when, um, when you're struggling with something like compulsion and someone might suggest, oh, just like, you know, try harder or, you know, just use as much willpower as you can. <laughs> like, if that, if only it were that easy, right? When you're dealing with something like really strong compulsions. Um, so let's talk about, because we have really similar principles in how we help people not manage, but end their eating disorders. And it doesn't have to take one year or five years. We can see these results in a matter of weeks or months. And um, I know our principles are the same, but I know that we might do it a little bit differently in practice. So I was curious if you might um, be open to discussing how you help people and what that process looks like. Absolutely, yeah. My approach, I, I really call it the five bodies of health. And I want to look at the whole person. And I'm looking at the physical body, which is really looking at what are your eating habits and where are you restricting and how can we just regulate eating 
and start to get you back in touch with your physical body and its cues. And um, I also use a technique called tapping or emotional freedom technique. And so there are some studies showing how tapping can support the brain in actually changing um, how the reward center is lighting up at the thought, sight, taste, smell of foods. So I'll incorporate tapping to support people in reducing food cravings and feel like it's easier for them to eat just some, you know, some of the fears are, well, I can't have that food because I can't control myself around it. And so giving them a sense of taking their power back from those foods that they feel like they can't have makes it easier for them to buy into this idea of permissioning any and all foods into their diet. Then I look at the mental body, which is really what are your thinking habits? What's going on in the mental field? And when I look at that, I'm also looking at eating programming. You know, what were the messages you heard as a child about yourself, about your body, about your worth? Um, was food used as a reward at home? Did you get emotional support at home or did you turn to food? And so I'm wanting to really understand what the the subconscious relationship is that someone's developing with themselves, with food in their body, so that we can go about changing some of the thinking habits and patterns that are informing how they're behaving as an adult and their relationship with food. I look at the emotional body, which is how are you supporting yourself and actually feeling and processing the emotions that are arising instead of turning to food. I'd say this is one of the best pieces of information I learned in my eating disorder training is the theory of binge eating from dialectical behavioral therapy, which says if you're a sensitive child who grew up in an invalidating environment, then you are vulnerable to developing a binge eating pattern as a way to cope and self-regulate because you weren't getting the emotional support and co-regulation that you needed to feel safe to have your emotions in your home environment. And so as a child, you start to attach to foods or look for ways to support yourself in feeling better. And then over time, that becomes our dominant default pattern for self-regulation or, or managing our emotions. So uh, I would say probably 80% of the work I do with people is uncovering their emotional wounds from over their life. We could call them traumas or just these key experiences that cause someone to shut down their emotional body or just cause these emotional energies to be stuck in their body. And over time, there's this buildup of what I call emotional energy or the pain body. And so once you start to experience binges in response to soothing the pain body, I wanna go in and help you just process the pain. Because if we can actually heal the emotional body, then your brain's desire for food to soothe is naturally going to subside because the same intensity of pain that you've been carrying over your life or that's been accumulating is not nearly as intense or strong. The energy body is where I'm really looking at people's energy system. I'm a Reiki master, so um, I'll look at imbalances. If somebody's absorbing energies from their environment, which probably true for you and all of your clients, I'd say most people who struggle with eating issues are empaths who are highly sensitive to energies and the energy of their environment and the energies of people around them. And if you aren't aware of how to practice energy hygiene and take care of your energy body, then you're vulnerable to, to taking on energy. This was happening to me as a therapist. You know, I would go in for the day as training as an intern and feel great and leave drenched in depression and anxiety from all the cases I was seeing, not knowing how to not take it on as my attempt to like help them feel better. And then I'd leave 
feeling horrible and go binge because I was looking for a way to help myself get rid of their feelings and emotions. So um, tending to the energy body is one of my favorite things to focus on. And then the last piece is looking at the soul. And I had a really personally interesting experience where I had done this um, experience called a soul retrieval, which is a shamanic practice. And after that experience, I never purged again. I still had some binges and emotional eating, but the purging stopped. And it was a light bulb moment for me of, wow, something about the soul and being connected to your soul and living from soul and nourishing your soul matters. And if we're disconnected from that part of ourselves and just focusing on me as a body and my worth comes from my body and that's who and what I am, I really think we're going to stay sick until we start to make the shift into really connecting to the truer essence of who we are and permissioning that. So I really um, emphasize looking at self as soul and figuring out and navigating how do we incorporate that into healing. I love that you are taught that you will dare to use such a word as soul. Um, and I feel like disordered eating creates in a way this disconnect from who we really are on deeper levels than our egos and bodies and minds. And, um, and I think a lot of people who are ready to heal, that's where they feel it. Like we obviously took some time to be really ready to heal. And I think a lot of people, like we might mentally know it and we tell ourselves, oh, I should really get this under control. Or we might even be emotionally desperate and say, I need to fix this. Um, but I feel like that soul pull of it's time, like where we just have to, and that's like, it, it feels more divine. And it feels bigger than just what our mind, our mind is capable of. Um, and I, I love that you use that. And I also appreciate what you said about the emotional piece. And I, I agree. I think a lot of my clients have been, and I too am an empath. And when I was leading food addiction support groups in that old kind of setting, I would binge after two. And I would have been fine before, but then as soon as I hear about everybody's cravings and struggles, I would go out and eat a, eat a whole pizza in the car because um, I was just taking it all on myself too. So um, one of the things that I always say is that the emotional eaters, even though we can see it as like this curse that, oh, I can feel everyone's feelings and <laughs> I take it all on, um, that in a way, when we are emotional eaters, if we can harness that energy properly, it becomes almost like a superpower. Because then when we have these urges or um, these moments where we know something's not right, where we might feel called to do some kind of self-destructive behavior, usually eat, then it's like, oh, let me use this opportunity to tune in because this is like a signal that I'm getting. This is not an enemy. This is a messenger for me to like turn up and listen to. Whereas for those who aren't as connected um, emotionally or who don't feel as much, right? They're not going to have the same kind of internal alarm system. So um, this is what I started telling myself so I could kind of accept 
that I am a sensitive person and I do feel other people's stuff, but that doesn't mean I need to shut myself off from the world and numb myself constantly in order to survive this life. Um, so I appreciate that you do the deeper emotional and energetic and soul work. Yeah. And that what you just shared to me is one of the most important reframes any person can have is recognizing, oh, it actually makes sense why I've developed this as a strategy to survive or to soothe. It, it like actually makes sense. And we can even honor like the, I, I say like, part of you cared about your well-being so much that it went to extreme measures to try and figure out a way to feel better. Like there was an adaptive function, especially if this started in childhood. And we can really honor that. And now that you have awareness, you get to improve that so that you actually can find new ways to support yourself and truly taking care of your needs, whether physical or emotional, in ways that are actually effective now. And so it's just a matter of like, ooh, using these, I say your your binge episodes are the windows into your healing. It's like every time you have an episode, it's like an opportunity to learn, an opportunity to understand myself better and learn from it and apply that learning in the future. You know, so they're not evidence of failure. It's it's just an indication of your body is like, hey, there's something going on in here and we need to look at it and I need to get your attention. Are you listening? And can you like help me actually feel better in new ways? Yeah, I love that you I say the same thing about the binges. They are the best learning opportunities. And sometimes I get clients who are so afraid to binge while in the program because they want to do it perfectly. I'm like, no, no, no. Like I'm depending on you <laughs> having a binge so we can start the work. Same. I get so excited and, and they'll, you know, a client will feel so much shame or like I did so bad. I'm letting you down. I'm like, sweetheart, this is what we are here for. Like if you don't binge, A, you don't need me. Second of all, like this is where the fun work is. Like now we get to like dive into the good stuff. Like I would be so bored if you were just perfect and didn't have any problems. Not that I don't, I, I don't want you to suffer and to have this prolonged, but like it, there's something so wonderful about the messy moments that we get to use as healing opportunities. Yeah. And that's the reframe, right? As long as they're, as long as we treat them as learning opportunities and healing opportunities, instead of opportunities to beat and criticize ourselves, we can rise above and become better versions of who we are and more knowledgeable and apply that for next time. And then every time it becomes easier and easier. And the beauty of that is then hope is restored. Because before it's like, eh, will this work? Oh, last resort, we'll give it one last shot. But then once we see, oh, this is actually, that was not as bad as the last time. Or that binge felt completely different than my binges in the past. And then we start, even if it's not perfect yet, as if perfection is even a thing, but <laughs> even when it's not perfect, we can see the progress. And that sometimes I think um, for people hope and like that inner knowing of, oh, this is actually quote unquote fixable. I'm no, I'm not stuck like this. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. That's like the fire we need to keep going. I think a lot of the time. Right to find the fire that it is possible to improve your eating issues. And it doesn't matter how long you've been struggling or how intense it's been. And you and I are both evidence of that. You know, it's like 
it is possible. And to me, there are like paths that kind of accelerate your getting there and paths that prolong your staying stuck. And there isn't a right or wrong path. And for me, you know, I have my approach and you have your approach. And I really believe there's also this like goodness of fit. Like some people need a bit more of the emotional work. Some people resonate more with more, you know, protocols or mental field. And so it's really finding the path that's right for you, but using guides who can offer some really valuable, tangible information processes, tools, and support, because we are not meant to do this alone. That is probably for me, the biggest thing I learned was I prolonged my suffering because I refused to get help and I did it by myself. And once I opened myself up to receive support, that is when I started to notice mega shifts in my own healing. Yeah, it's totally true. I think people um, see leaps and bounds. I recently started a self-study course um, where I teach everything that I always taught in my 12-week immersive program that people would do with me and um, with the team. And I condensed it into 30 days so people could study it on their own. And I have a few people who I'm working with now who, who got that program and they made significant strides on their own. But now that they have the support, they're like, oh my God, I never would have seen this thing that has been plaguing me. And it's like being inside the jar. You can't read the label on the jar because you're in it. And it's not personal. It's, it's the case for anybody who wants all have to our blind spots. Life. And it's not a sign of weakness to ask for help. I think if anything, it's a sign of strength because of how hard it is to ask for help, especially for something that we, we feel has been shameful or that we've carried it as a secret. Do when people reach out to you um, for help, is it usually, um, is there usually a lot of fear involved? Because that's what I always find. It's like there's tons of fear around um, reaching out and then going through a process and getting their hopes up. I feel like there's a lot of apprehension around that. Yeah, apprehension, fear, uh, you know, it's natural as you're getting started on a process to both wonder, like, what is this? The fear of like, what am I going to discover or have to face? The fear of, is this going to work for me? And am I going to be like the one person who actually is fundamentally flawed? You know, it's like, it brings up a lot of those deeper insecurities and I think that's normal. But I also find that, like you mentioned, there's an aspect of them, call it soul or just this deep, deep, wise part that's like, and none of those fears outweigh the part that's holding on to the hope and, and the determination to keep going. And that's why they keep going, because there is a part inside that does know that I don't have to live this way anymore. And so I find that 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 faith, that part always trumps the part that has the fear. And if somebody's fear is greater, I tell them to come back when it, when it isn't, because I, I want people who are fully ready. And it's okay if you're not, but it's just important to be honest with yourself, with where you're at. And for a long time, I, as, I wasn't actually ready to fully recover. You know, I had this period of comfort with the eating disorder where it became my friend and I had to get to a place of really being ready to fully release it from my life before I could. Yeah, it's, um, you said something at the beginning where you said like, once you 
kind of had that understanding of this can be released, you you said, I'm going to, like, that's it. Like, there's no question. I had the same thing. I was like, of course, I'm not going to be managing this my whole life. I didn't even entertain that thought for a second. Um, and I think that that's, it's harder for someone who's been struggling for 50 years to to really embody that kind of feeling. But um, hopefully when you hear enough messages like the one we're perpetuating right now, can really know that even if it's been 50 years, you are not, this is not a life sentence. It's just not. Do you have any um, messages or uh, like parting thoughts for anyone who is struggling right now seeking freedom yeah i want people to like give themselves a hug for all of the suffering that you've already gone through i just know how painful it is and oftentimes we respond to our pain and suffering with harshness and criticism and what's wrong with me and judgment. And that is like putting, you know, an assault in the wound. I really find that it is the self-love, the self-acceptance, the self-compassion that is the most powerful healing ointment and is like what accelerates any process that you say yes to is forgiving yourself for struggling in the first, first place, like truly, truly forgiving yourself. And then instead of criticizing yourself to change, you decide I'm gonna try and love myself back to wholeness or be my best for own best friend on this path moving forward. And start to talk to yourself the way you would talk to loved ones and start to pick yourself up the way you would someone you care about and start to treat yourself with that depth of love and care. And that will make all the difference, I truly believe on, on your path to healing and recovery. I love that. It's a good practice in general, I think, even outside of eating disorders, to practice talking to yourself the way you would with a loved one and, and using that kind of as a barometer for, am I being kind to myself? Would I say this to somebody who I love with all of my heart? Um, and even if we don't love ourselves with our heart yet, to practice without it needing to be perfect just to practice that that new kind of self-talk. So what, how can, if someone wants to work with you or learn more about your work, what would be the best way for them to find you or the best place for them to start? You can connect with me on Instagram, which is at Sarah Emily Spears, or reach out to me on my website, which is sarahspears.com. And there's a number of ways that you can, you know, contact me on those platforms or just learn more about what I do. And I'd be so happy to hear from anybody and, and connect if you have questions. Beautiful. We'll put that in the show notes too. Um, I want to thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing about your journey. And um, I really appreciate your, not just your unique approach, but how deep you go and not just seeing this or um, seeing it as a physical thing, or even, like you said, it's not about the food and you go so deep and um, thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing.
Yeah. Thank you for just honoring that. And likewise, I mean, that's why I was stoked to invite you on my show because I could tell and see, you know, that you really were offering a path that was a solution very different from the clinical or traditional approaches. And, and it's beautiful to watch you serve. So thank you for this podcast and your, your service. Thank you. Awesome. So thank you so much, Sarah. And um, I'll put for those of you guys who want to follow Sarah, or join one of her programs or communicate with her, we'll put her info in the in the notes so you can reach out to her. And, um, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe, follow or leave a kind review. If you're ready to get down to business and work with me to end your food issues permanently, please reach out or go to katiepapo.com for more info. Be kind to yourself, and I hope to see you for the next episode.